The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This way? No, I don't want to take this way. This is, there's so many dogs you see sitting there. And they might wake up anytime when we pass by. This is Now or Never. I'm Trevor Deneen. And I am Ifi Chiwetelu. And on the streets of Dhaka, Bangladesh, Zana Shami and her partner Eric are taking a walk. The call to prayer is sounding, the sun is shining, but Zana is focused on only one thing keeping as far away as possible from the dogs on the side of the road. It's a fear that she has had as long as she can remember. So I was coming from school and in the alleyway there was a dog suddenly started chasing me and I fell on the ground and it was, tongue was all out and the dog was like kind of panting and the tail was wagging so I got really really scared. So anytime you see a dog here even a sleeping dog that all comes back to you? It's because like these are not pet dog right these are all street dog and you never know what's gonna happen so a lot of times even I tried to pass by a sleeping dog and suddenly it wakes up that scares me. Do you want to try walking by one of the sleeping dogs now? Are you going to be with me? Yes. I'll, I'll stand on the side closer to the dog. Okay, let's see. It's moving. It's moving. Look. It's fine. They're, they're just sleeping. Let's go. I'm going to hold your hand. Three dogs there. I'm not going. You can just hear how scared she is. It just comes right through the radio. I know. And we'll come back to Zana in a minute. But bless her partner, Eric, for trying to explain that she shouldn't be scared. When your nervous system is activated like that, it cares very little about logic. That's the thing, though. When, when fear grabs hold of you and it sinks its teeth in, it's hard to shake loose. It can basically consume you. Yeah, but for good reason. Like, if you are in a dangerous situation, that fight-or-flight response is life-saving. But if it's getting in the way of you living the life you want, you might have to look that fear directly in the eye and welcome whatever happens next. Which is why today on Now or Never, we're going to be meeting people who are going face-to-face with their fears and refusing to back down no matter how scary it might be. I'm nervous to talk about how scared I am of them dying. So I'm hoping that it will help me really try to know them and understand them when I had the opportunity to. I am afraid 
when I'm afraid or when I have, have these nerves and, and, and fear of crashing, then I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I don't crash and that I put my best performance forward. I think I feel like I'm like um, expecting a little bit of scare. So if I don't feel that little scare, I'll be a little bit disappointed. But I'm expecting just like a little bit of nerves, a little bit of anxiousness, and then just mostly fun. Yeah. This is now or never. Ooh. Did we did we scare them? <laughs> I don't think so. Let's start the show. Ooh. <laughs> that one got him for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Zana Shami, a woman after my own heart with her fear of dogs. <laughs> I know, and I didn't know this about you, but I remember when, when you first met my dog, when you came to my house, you ran from the house, like yes, literally across the lawn. And I felt so awful because I knew that all she wanted to do was lick you and cuddle you and just give you a little bit of that Sophie love. <laughs> I, I didn't think any of that was going to happen. I for sure thought I was going to be attacked because mm -hmm. my fear of dogs is linked to being attacked by two dogs when I was younger and delivering papers, a lot of fears are based on something bigger than just not liking something. For Zana, even though she now lives in Toronto, the street dogs back home in Bangladesh are fresh in her memory. This fear is mostly it's gonna touch me. Touch, in a sense, attack me. That's in my brain, right? Like it's gonna come close to me and try to attack me. That's the fear. It doesn't matter how small it is or how cute looking dog it is. Like I I like seeing cute dog from far, from a safe distance where, where I'm I'm confident that it's not gonna come close to me. It's not gonna try to uh, sniff me or touch me. But scary dog or big dog, those are like like a tiger or lion to me. <laughs> For most of her life, Zana has done everything she can to avoid being around dogs. But when she met Eric and found out he had a family dog, a rescue named Rocky, things got complicated. Rocky is the first dog I came so close. And I I remember even the first day. Uh, was it, it was June of 2020? Uh, yes. Yeah, it was okay. mom's birthday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that day at, at the cottage. Uh, I'm sorry to laugh, and uh, I guess I laughed then too. But uh, <laughs> you came down to the dock, and he made a beeline uh, right for you. And the more you tried to avoid him, the more that riled him up and got him agitated. <laughs> and yeah. And you were laughing. Yeah. <laughs> that made me really upset. That I'm scared as hell and like you are just laughing and you are not trying to protect me as you promised you said that you are gonna protect me i just remember the screaming and uh, me and mom just kept laughing uh, yeah sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now you're saying sorry yeah. i felt so bad remember i couldn't attend the dinner i felt terrible i was feeling so bad that it was mom's birthday but because of the fear inside my body I wasn't feeling comfortable to go inside and sit with everyone yeah you came a long way by the end you were able to come over without any hesitation and then the very last time you came over uh, just to see Rocky yeah and that's the day I I pet him and I guess that's that's the last day 
Yeah. Yeah, that was the last day. Yeah. Few weeks ago, it's February. I guess the first week of February, Rocky uh, passed away. I guess this is the first time I uh, realized that how a dog can be a family member. Like, I miss Rocky. He is. He was a part of family. He was a family member, which I I never experienced that. Now that Rocky's gone, I guess you, you still want to continue to overcome your fear. Yeah, I I still want to because uh, I don't wanna be in the jail of this fear, and I don't want this fear to interrupt my life and not let me enjoy my life the way I want. And and I think it's because I was able to touch Rocky, and I when I was petting him, I I felt how comforting it is, like just touching and petting. I felt the warmth. I feel like it's a, it's a warmth of love. So I want that. Hi, and thank you for giving me the opportunity, well, at least virtually, to be able to say hi, tell you who I am, what I do, and how I can help you. So this is the guy, Todd Kaufman. And I'm a registered psychotherapist and a coach. I'm meeting him today for a therapy session. Mm -hmm. He's specialized in anxiety. I realize I should learn the basic skills, how to not get scared yeah. Like, at least enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rocky helped you overcome your fear of Rocky. But you need a therapist to help you overcome the fear of all mm -hmm. dogs. Hi, Todd. Hi, Zana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. So what's this about and why now? Most importantly, my partner, he's a dog lover and... Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's, yeah, I feel really embarrassed and uncomfortable. Like, the fear was so strong that it doesn't matter if it's not even, like, able to bite or something. Like, none of the logic works. I'm literally mm -hmm. shaking. I'm constantly thinking if it's coming close to me if it is going to touch mm -hmm. me. So, yeah. Sure. Fear is a very, very natural response. So it's this little piece of our brain, and it's called our amygdala. And it's our fight or flight center. So in your particular case, it learned very, very young that the, the sight, the shape, the smell, the sound of a dog meant danger. And so it flushes you with these two drugs called adrenaline and cortisol. Right, and you get that scary feeling. So this is all really, really natural. There's nothing broken about you and there's nothing wrong here. And in, in many ways, it's not even irrational how you feel. The only thing that's happened for you is you were taught something that you don't need to believe anymore. 
Does that make sense? Yes. So tell me something. Do you know who Homer Simpson is? Yes. <laughs> I have always imagined that it was Homer Simpson that sat in my amygdala and controlled those switches. And so the adrenaline is designed to get your attention. Huh? Noise. Bad noise. Five minutes before critical mass. Critical what? Okay, okay, don't panic. So the moment you feel that fear coming on, basically you're just feeling the symptoms of the adrenaline. And Homer's just saying, Zana, your attention, please. We're doomed! Sector 7G is now being Because he's scared. He's like a child. He's afraid that you're in danger here. So he wants to get your attention. And then he wants help staying safe. Gotta think, gotta think. Okay, somewhere there's a thingy that tells you how to work this stuff. The, um, the, um, the manual, the manual, right. So here's really your, your first trick to being able to change this fear or any fear around is it's high time that you were a little appreciative of poor old Homer. Because for years now, instead of giving him your attention and keeping him safe, You've been smacking the poor little guy around. You've been pushing him off here. I don't want to feel you. I don't want you here. Go away. I don't want this feeling. There's something broken with you, Homer. Stay away from me. And so Homer goes, but no, wait. I'm in danger. So when you do that, he gives you more of these drugs. So you got yourself caught in this loop. So we got to break the loop. So would you like the magic incantation? Oh, yeah. The moment you feel that, I want you to say, Homer, you want to keep me safe? I am going to help. Homer, you want to keep me safe? I am going to help. Crisis has been averted. Everything is super. And this is how we're going to create a new habit. Because we've got to teach Homer mm -hmm. that every time he's worried about a dog or he senses a dog, his habit right now is to flush you with these drugs. So we are going to intentionally, with a lot of repetition and reward, mm -hmm. so by intentionally breaking the cycle, repetitively breaking it, and every time you do, master your happy dance. Okay. And when it goes well, girl, I want you to break out in a flat-out dance. Okay. You know, I really want you to be proud of yourself, right? I, because the brain, when it's rewarded, goes, I'm going to do that again. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Amazing. It. I feel. I. I feel more empowered now. I feel like I can deal with this fear. So when you first heard about my fear, when I explained you at the very beginning of our relationship, when I got to know that you love dogs, you are a dog person. Honestly, at that point, I was thinking that this relationship is not going to work. I won't be able to work on this fear. And I, I, I was literally thinking of giving up this relationship. Have you ever felt like, since I have this phobia, you shouldn't be with me? I never felt that way. I always, I guess, thought it was something we could either work around or, or work on, basically. I'm afraid that uh, one day you might feel that because of me, you couldn't have that 
life with dog as a family member or household? Do you think that might come as a regret later in future? I know that we aren't likely to have a pet in the future, and that's okay. That's okay with me, but, but you never know. Maybe one day you'll change your mind and you'll be the one asking to have a, a dog. Maybe, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> quite sure yet. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? You know, growing up, it wasn't very common among middle-class family to have a pet. Like my grandma had a cat, but it wasn't allowed inside the home. It is supposed to stay in our backyard. That's all. So the way we think pet in like North America, it wasn't like that. And a lot of my friends had similar fear, like who we grew up in Bangladesh. And I thought that I have that fear because we learn to be afraid of those street dogs. They are not actually vaccinated. They are not clean. So it's very common to have the fear of dog. But you know my friend Romana, mm-hmm. my childhood friend, she has the same fear. And like she lives in Vancouver now. So she experienced a lot of similar issue like me. She's someone who really understands me. Hi, Romana. Hi, Zana. I heard that your partner is a dog lover. So how is how are you yeah. helping with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I got to know that he's a dog lover, it was too late to back up. <laughs> it's not only because of my partner, it's just when I moved to Canada, right? It's a, such a dog-friendly, pet-friendly country. And I felt like I'm the only one who is constantly thinking wherever I'm going that if there is going to be any dog, how am I going to go there, you know? Yeah, like it's really hard for people who doesn't have it for them to understand what it's like. And no matter Mm -hmm. how hard you try, like I, I just don't think that they get it. Like it's not something we are pretending to have, you know? Yeah. I'm not scared of the dog or cat biting me or scratching me. I'm I'm just I'm just scared. Like I'm I just don't feel comfortable. I get startled and then a scream just comes out of my mouth. Oh my god. I, I can so relate to that. Yeah. I have so many incidents. In the middle of serious meeting I started screaming just because there's a little puppy touched my feet. <laughs> It's so embarrassing. So that's why I was like, oh my God, like I I cannot deal with this fear anymore. So how are you planning to do that? Like how are you working on that? So we are planning to head out a dog's park next weekend and let's see, finger crossed. I'm not sure (laughs) how I'm going to... I can't believe you are doing it. (laughs) Wish me luck. Yeah, good luck and good for you for doing it. It takes a lot of courage. So, so proud of you, Zana. There's one. Oh my God, there's a dog. Oh my God. Okay. 
What was that Todd was telling me to say? I'm listening to you. I know you want to protect me. I'm gonna help you. Okay, I'm listening. I'm gonna help you. You've got my attention. I'm listening. I'm gonna keep you safe. Do you want to try to get a little bit closer? Okay. Hi, uh, I, I just wanted to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Zana, and that's my partner, Eric. Hi, Eric. Hi. My name is Anna, and this is Mark. Yep, nice so, to meet you. So, I have a phobia of dog. I'm trying to recover uh, that phobia. So, if you guys don't mind, can I just try at least come close to uh, your dog? Yeah, of course. Uh, why don't we give you a, a treat as well? She oh. likes those a lot. Oh, sure. Well, sure. yeah, this is Fluff. Her name is Fluff. This is our dog. If you feel comfortable. Yeah, I want to try just uh, coming close and see how I feel. Absolutely. Sure. Fluff is very friendly. Hi, Fluff. She is cute, eh? Mm, really cute. So what should I do? Like, should I just uh, hold my hand yeah, close? Bend down first. Yeah. Get down okay. low. Okay. Let me give you this. Okay, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I might scream. <laughs> okay. So. She won't be scared if you scream. Even without treat, you can just try to approach her. Or stand close. Ah! <laughs> I think uh, I'll... Okay. Yeah, I'm not yeah. ready. That's okay. okay. That's I'm okay. not ready. Fluff. Hi, Fluff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It, this is, you know, unbelievable for me that I'm that close to a dog. You usually, did so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah usually if I see any dog in the park, I just turn around. I'm not walking anymore. <laughs> so I was like that, but I decided I'm gonna good like, you. you know, push myself and overcome the fear. Fluff is a Turkish street dog. She's from a shelter in northern Turkey. And so Fluff came to Canada through a rescue called Stray to Play. Um, she came uh, last year in May oh wow yeah I grew up in Bangladesh so there are a lot of street dogs and growing up we know that street dogs are scary so it, it's surprising I thought that the pet dog are different from sure. <laughs> street dog yeah she's really cute her face reminds me of Rocky actually do you want to try to get a little bit closer are you comfortable yeah, I'll try. No treats or not? Yeah, I want to try treats no this treats? time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you want treat, Fluff? Good girl. Good girl. Good girl, Fluff. Oh my God. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm doing it. <laughs> She's enjoying. <laughs> This is the first time in my life. Amazing. Oh my God, wow. I cannot believe that. That's incredible. <laughs> and I'm not scared. And it's not at all scary. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Fluff. She's asking for more. Okay. You want to give him this? Okay, Fluff. Yeah. Good girl. Oh, wow. Good girl. Oh, you're Aww. stretching. <laughs> A lot of hard no. work eating all these treats. <laughs> no more treats.
love hearing how far she's come. Like, this is a huge step for her. I know it's going to be a while before she has a Great Dane jumping on her and licking her face, but she's one step closer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's the destination, but (laughs) (laughs) at least that she has some level of peace around Fluff is beautiful to see. And you can see her and Fluff together. Plus, hear more about her journey to conquering her fear of dogs on our website. Head to cbc.ca slash now or never. And a big thank you to Katie Swales, who produced this story with support from the CBC Doc Mentorship Program. Still to come on Now or Never, one woman faces the fear of her parents' death by sitting the family down for an honest conversation. What do you expect from me as you get older? Oh, fun. Connection. Just more of the same. You guys do not seem as worried about this as I am, which is funny. I feel like I'm asking you what you're expecting from me and you're basically saying nothing. Is there not more that you expect from us in terms of, like, helping you? You can get your crap out of our house. (laughs) That's coming up later on Now or Never. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. This is Now or Never. I'm Trevor Deneen. And I am Ifi Chiwetelu. And today we are joining people who are facing their fears. And it's only fair, Trevor, that we rise to the challenge. Is it really, though? Yep. I have hidden a spider somewhere in the room you are in. You <laughs> I'm must. Burn this room to the ground <laughs> and never come back to it. You know how much I despise spiders in my in my home. That's the worst thing in the world. I didn't actually sneak a spider in there, but I wanted to see how you would react because there are some people who purposefully and actively seek out experiences that scare them. People who love scary movies, haunted houses, doing things that get their heart rate pumping. And Fools. I <laughs> Well, I am absolutely not one of those people because I scare way too easily. But I want to talk to those people and understand what do you enjoy about feeling fear? So I am headed to a scary place to find that out. So you wanted to see life in the asylum? Let me bring it back to life for you now. I am at Escape Manor in downtown Toronto, an entertainment space that has axe throwing, a lounge, But in the basement, a number of horror-themed escape rooms. So welcome to our asylum tour. And this location right here used to be where the old York Asylum once stood. It was established in 1850, got shut down in 1948 because there were some, uh, you know, barbaric practices going on. Now a lot of people say they feel like cold spots in the room, they hear voices, things like that. But if you want to have a look around, I'm sure that nothing bad is going to happen. (laughs) 
escape rooms are activity spaces where you have one hour to find clues and solve puzzles to find your way out. And at this one, they have definitely upped the creepy factor, which is perfect for this family of four about to enter. Hi, I'm Julien. Hi, I'm Ensem. Hi, my name is Marie Christine. Do you know details about this room that you're going in? I was the one who booked it without telling anybody. Okay. So what was your criteria when you were looking to book it? Um, that scare factor, yeah. actually. Yeah, that's what I wanted to, to do for her birthday. I love it. <laughs> you love spooky. I love spooky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where did you develop that love for, for the spooky things? Uh, maybe when I'm, lo- I'm walking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an emotional. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're around scary things all the time. Screams, blood, all of that. So it's kind of familiar a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I would think that you would want to break from that. Yet you you well, still. That's the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Are you ever scared at work? <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> in in the worst situation, you always have to stay calm yeah. to be able to be effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does this situation allow you to be a little bit more like free in being in a situation that might have a few surprises? Yeah, a, little, a little bit more crazy. What can you get out of places like this? I think just like the adrenaline rush, yeah. but I'm, leave, I'm leaving on that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I like it sometimes. Sometimes it's a little intense, but like if it's a regular thing and I'm aware of where I am and everything, I think it can be really enjoyable. It's like being an adrenaline junkie. It's like you want that energy, you want that, that fierce, and after you're done, it's like, whoa, I had this huge experience and everything. Yeah, the surprise element, because you don't know what to expect, right? So like you may get jump scared and you find, oh my god, I'm so scared, right? Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're laughing because you didn't expect it. Okay. Is that your reaction to being, when you're, when you're like startled and scared, you find yourself laughing? Yeah. It's pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty and funny. It escape anyway, so you just have to laugh. <laughs> I want to get surprised. I would prefer to have fun. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's fun. Very fun. Well, I just went to the washroom, so I should not pee myself just being scared, <laughs> so I should be okay. <laughs> Very important precautions. Yeah. I'm sure the staff is so grateful that you won't pee yourself. <laughs> well, good luck in the room. Uh, I, hope, I hope it's fun for you. Did they survive? <laughs> they That's did. what I need to know. They did, in fact, survive, though I will say I was hanging out right outside the room the whole time, and there were a couple moments where they were a little spooked, but they came out of it smiling, even though they didn't quite solve all the puzzles. You can see their smiling faces for yourself on our CBC Now and Ever Facebook and Instagram.
this is Now or Never. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And today we are tackling fear. Which almost makes it sound like we're going to wrestle it to the ground and be done with it forever, which I wish was true about fear. I know. I know for myself, like facing a fear, I always thought if I faced it, it would just be gone. But that's not true at all. Like, especially with, with OCD and anxiety, which I live with, I've learned that sometimes the best thing is to just try and make sure that fear isn't driving the car. Mm. I try and make sure that some days that I know that my fear is in the passenger seat and I have to keep it there and I have to keep my hands on that wheel and feel like I have some semblance of control while that fear is still trying to chirp away behind me and trying to distract me around every single corner. Yeah, so far looking clean, these transitions are looking great. So really just minimal, minimal mistakes and keeping that momentum into 12. Chris Spring is a bobsled pilot for Team Canada. Now he's competed in four Olympic games, eight world championships, and he's won both gold and bronze medals, which means that almost every day, whether in training or competition, he finds himself at the top of a 4,000-foot-long concrete ice track, getting psyched up to throw himself down and go as fast as safely possible. Chris Spring of Canada, four hundredths of a second from the lead, 42-year-old There's a lot of energy in the air. At bobsled races, there's a lot of screaming that goes on, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of testosterone that gets uh, flung around. Chris Spring, another great start with Neville Wright. The Whistler winner was behind Friedrich, but then found speed at the bottom. A lot of people have, are bringing a lot of energy, and I love that. Uh, and it's extremely important to, to have that feeling for those those first five seconds of the push. Chris Spring won the opening race of a doubleheader two seasons ago in Whistler. Could he do it again? There's a lot of back slapping and um, grunting noises happening, and then I'm just off on my own, eyes closed, trying to calm things down and um, and get ready for that, that run. I think a lot of people assume that athletes in extreme sports just don't feel fear. And for a long time, that's how Chris felt. Each year as he got better and better as a bobsledder, his confidence grew. But 10 years ago, that all changed. It was the final day of training before the World Cup race. Um, so we're probably doing 125 kilometers an hour in my four-man sled. And there's always this silence that happens just as you're crashing. And, oh, it's a... Uh, it's a sound you never want to hear because the sled is so loud in the track. There's a lot of vibration, a lot of uh, a lot of noise coming um, from the the heavy sled on the ice. And when you crash, there's this moment of silence where the sled is no longer touching the ice. And it, it only lasts a split second, but it's it feels like it lasts forever. And you're like, oh no, like we're going over. We crash out of curve 15 in my four-man sled. We we hit the roof in corner 16 immediately because it's quite a, a, uh, a sharp radius there. And at this time, we hit the roof and it kept us in the track, which was great. And uh, towards the end of that curve, the roof, uh, the roof line comes down as the corner narrows towards the end. And our sled hits the roof again. And unfortunately, just the way that the, the roof was built and uh, you know the, the angle in which my sled hit the roof, uh, we pierced through the wood 
of the roof and into the steel support beams behind the roof. And, you know, our sled is still traveling at, you know, 100 plus kilometers an hour. And, and my front axle um, gets caught in the, the steel I-beam in the roof. And there's still so much energy in the sled that the sled continues and the axle gets ripped through the sled and basically just can opens the, the carbon fiber and fiberglass through the bottom of the sled. And somehow a piece of wood from the roof impales me through my butt and into my back. And I don't realize that this has happened at the time because everything is, is happening so quickly. And, um, you know, next thing I know where the sled comes to rest back on the track again and, you know, my my face is just wet with blood and I can hear some screams from uh, my, my teammates behind me. I, I can hear some kind of shallow labored breathing from my teammates. And I, I really thought that, that, um, you know, things were not in a good way for them. You can hear just how vivid that memory still is for him. Yeah. It hasn't faded even a little bit. Now, Chris, and two of his three teammates recovered in time to compete in the 2014 Winter Olympics. But the accident changed his relationship to bobsledding forever. When he first started out as a 22-year-old in Calgary, Chris was roped in by the thrill of learning something new. Since the crash, though, he's been forced to come to terms with the dangers of the sport that he loves. There was a lot of fear, um, and a lot of irrational fear that I just thought was rational. <laughs> you know, like I, I started, I might have a bad run in training and, you know, I'd get to the top of the track for a second run and I'd just start spiraling down in, in my mind and be thinking like, okay, what if I'm late out of that corner again? You know, maybe that's going to put me too early into this next corner, get pushed away. I'm going to be so high towards the roof. You know, maybe I make the wrong mistake and I steer it down too early and, blah, blah, blah. And next thing I'm on my head and I crash. And what if we go through the roof again? And just all these like irrational uh -huh. thoughts going through my mind. There would be times in training that I would say to my coaches, hey, like um, <clears throat> I'm shutting it down for the day, you know, maybe after a bad run like that. And I would give them some excuse about, you know, not feeling well or my hip flexor bothering me or my knee bothering me or blah, blah, blah. But really it was because I was afraid of going down the track again. Oh, it's kind of hard to talk to about uh, about right now, but I, I feel a little bit of guilt uh, still. Um, one of my team members was unable to return to sport, and, you know, that's heavy uh, on me. You know, because that was a, um, that was something that I took away from, from him. But uh, he's found a lot of uh, joy in other parts of his life, and... Um, you know, that I'm, I'm really happy for, but it definitely just reminds me that uh, we don't know what's around the corner. And so we, we really need to make sure that we're making decisions in our life that, you know, that we're really happy with and, and brings us a lot of joy and, and that we can look back knowing that, that we made the right decision. Yeah, and that, that fear stays with you. And it's not something for, for a long time, I tried to dismiss it and say, no, I'm not afraid. And um, you know, and, and rely on, on my, my, whether it was my um, sports psych or my teammates and coaches and, and, and really try and get them to reinforce that, no, I'm not afraid. But eventually I thought to myself, no, I am afraid. And it's okay 
to be afraid. And not only that, I'm going to try and use this fear to make me a better driver. When I'm afraid or when I have, have these nerves and, and, and fear of, of crashing, then I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I don't crash and that I put my best performance forward. Like, you know, I'm going to use this fear that I have to make sure that I do everything possible to get the best possible outcome. And it's been something that I now look for. I like invite the fear in. I want the fear. There is no courage without fear. There is no courage without fear. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. Yeah, that one really kind of hits home. These days, Chris is at home in Calgary, healing from knee surgery, but that doesn't mean he plans to retire anytime soon. While he waits for the next bobsled season to begin, he's working on getting his aviator license as well. Of course you... he is. <laughs> <laughs> he just loves being confined in a tube. I don't understand it. <laughs> if you want to see photos of Chris, head on over to our CBC Now or Never Facebook and Instagram pages. This is Now or Never. I'm Ipi Chiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And today we're talking about fear and the way it shows up in our lives. And one of the scariest moments of my life, easy, happened in a hospital emergency room when I was 20 years old. My father had, had a heart attack. And I remember walking into the back area and I saw my dad and he looked up at me and he said, Hey, son. And as soon as he said it, the expression on his face changed. And then all of a sudden, all this beeping and buzzing and these like a little alarm started going off and doctors started rushing past me. And everyone said, all I remember hearing is, he's having another one, hurry. And all these doctors crowded around him. I stood there and I was frozen. And this one doctor shuffled me out of the room. And I just remember my mom grabbing me and she was basically yelling like, what's happening? What's happening? And I couldn't say anything because in my brain, I was like, am I, am I watching my dad? die and I've never been able to lose that image in my brain because it was beyond terrifying I, I can still even right now picture his face in that exact moment and that is that's a big moment and I've, I've met your dad I've seen him he is alive and well but have the two of you ever revisited that experience no we don't really talk about it we don't talk about any of his health battles really and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I, I don't like talking about death, much less imagining a world without my parents in it. So it just never gets brought up. And I know I'm not the only adult who's afraid to talk with their parents about the end of life. Nora Canitis Boydell has decided that she's put off this conversation as long as she can. And she's ready to ask her parents, Ingrid and Craig, some uncomfortable questions about aging. Yeah, so I think that what's spurred it for me I've been living in different cities that are far away from home where my parents live in London, Ontario. And um, while I was away, I had an uncle who was suddenly hospitalized and had a health crisis. And I felt very, very far away from home when that was happening. And it ended up leading to this huge fear of my own parents having a health crisis, something, something similar happening, and me being at least a day away of travel and not being by their side. 
And um, as I thought about that, I got more and more fearful of um, the eventual day that they will pass away or maybe they will get ill first. And yeah, it was causing me a lot of anxiety. And uh, eventually I realized that probably having all of these fears kind of rattle around in the echo chamber of my own brain was <laughs> making them worse. Mm -hmm. And that maybe chatting with them, I could see if I was making some assumptions that were wrong or at least just get an uncomfortable topic out there and, and share it with my parents instead of just experiencing it myself. So have you never spoken about this with them at all? Not really. And I think when it's come up, it's been sometimes as a joke. Like my dad has made jokes, oh, just put me in a home. It, we haven't really addressed it. And there have been times that I've wanted to ask, ask him some of these questions that I have. And I think I just chickened out. It's just, uh, it's just fear, I mm -hmm. guess. You mentioned the, these, these questions. Is there I, any question that you're most nervous to ask them? Um, yeah, there, there's two maybe. Definitely about what their expectations are of me. Um, what if like five years of support are needed? I don't, yeah, I don't know how I feel about going back to my hometown and living there or making life plans around that. So I'm nervous to broach that for sure. I think I'm nervous to talk about how scared I am of them dying because I'm worried that it will make them sad and freaked out or something. What are you hoping to come away with at the end of this whole conversation? I want to get to know them better, I guess, and, and to feel like, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to them about something that was really going to impact us both, and I, I didn't take it. I don't want to have that regret, so I'm hoping that it will help me really tried to know them and understand them when I had the opportunity to and and to also share myself with them, I guess. I hope you get all of that. Thank you. In the end. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hello, Mom. You have a glass of wine? I will. Dad, do you have a drink of the uh, alcoholic variety? I'm actually more nervous than expected. I think the topic is just like hard to bring up maybe. Um, so, but uh, it's on me to bring it up. So I'll do that now. <laughs> How do you feel about aging and death? So I feel great about aging. I really love this phase of my life. What concerns me isn't whether I'll grow old. What concerns me is whether I'll grow old and still be healthy. So what I don't want is to become an unhealthy person who has to depend on other people to keep me going by feeding me, by bathing me, those kinds of things. I, I think I feel similar to mom in the sense that uh, you don't want to be a drag on your children. We don't want to be dependent. Why is that? It's like I don't need to complete a life cycle where when, when all of you were born, you were a burden, right? You were much loved, but you were a burden. Jesus, you couldn't do anything. <laughs> Right, so I don't, I don't, I don't see needing to complete the uh, the cycle of life by having us be a burden where we couldn't do anything and everybody's got to look after us. And, and in terms of images of me late in life, would you rather have an image of us chatting together or changing my diaper? I mean, chatting together, yeah. We feel the same way. Hmm. What do you expect from me as you get older? Oh, fun. 
connection. Just more of the same. You guys do not seem as worried about this as I am, which is funny. I feel like I'm asking you what you're expecting from me, and you're basically saying nothing. Is there not more that you expect from us in terms of, like, helping you? You can get your crap out of our house. (laughs) So I don't think I'm saying I don't want help or support. What kinds of things do you want help and support with? The same things I've mentioned, which I think you tend to think of as kind of inconsequential, but they're in many ways the most consequential. Your, Your company, your companionship, time together, I think they're the ones that make you feel like you're still the person you always were. And I think they involve more giving than you think right now. Hmm. Why do you think we haven't talked about this before and have you wanted to? Nobody asked me. (laughs) You're giving Dad a really funny look right now. Well, I've asked you. I I do ask you. I've talked to you about I'd love to leave my body to science. I won't be using it anymore and someone can learn from it. So that would be my first choice. I'll leave my ashes to science. (laughs) I, I like the idea of not having my body rot in the ground. If I was cremated, so there's a box of ashes around. Now the idea of dumping them in the lake, like people swim in the lake. So then I think, oh, I'm swimming through dad's ashes. Or, you know, in terms of my organs and that, I, that you know, if that, that gives somebody life, fine. And yeah, I don't need them coming to thank my family and say, oh, well, I got your father's heart and he's a great guy. No, I'd, let's let that, that be that a private thing. <laughs> Now I'm picturing all kinds of crazy like movie plot lines where I get married to someone who has your heart and you're saying you don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I, I, I spent a lot of time uh, since I retired, you know, sorting out all kinds of information I've had over the years. And I've got files for everything in, on, on the computer. And one of the things that occurred to me not that long ago was, oh, I'm actually putting all that stuff on the computer for, for people to access when I die got two files. One is called uh, Game Enders. And Wait, thought, what's a Game Ender? It's like the end of my life. I'm talking about, I'm describing things about the end of my life, including uh, what I might want to have at a funeral. And then uh, I got another one called Death Wish. But the, like that's... Uh, <laughs> Wait, so that, these I, are lists that exist? Yeah, they're files on my computer. True. I didn't know about these lists. I, I wouldn't know to look I, for them. I guess I should tell people that there's stuff on the computer, for starters. Yeah, that might not be the natural reaction. It's like, let's let's read everything on Dad's computer. So one of my last notes to myself about the game ender is everybody takes my, what they think is my favorite joke and tells the joke. And, uh, you know, so that would be one. I want to do what Dad is describing while I'm alive. I, mean, I often find it's, it's sort of sad when you're at uh, various celebrations of life, as they tend to call them now, that the person who died isn't there to hear it all. Do you guys have a vision of what a perfect death would be for you? I think there is a general sense that to die suddenly is nice because you have no sense of worrying about it. But I think to me the perfect death is to have a period of time when you know you're going to die, but it's not too long. I, I just feel there's a way in which you have a deeper appreciation and a kind of depth that isn't there day to day, even though we all know we're going to die. It'd be like I was doing something I wanted to do, and, and, and without being a burden on somebody, it was like I just died. You know, being, being out in nature would be kind of nice. There's a close friend we both have. Uh, I think he's 81 years old now, 
And he's always had this thing, even at his age, where he just loves to go out and pick strawberries. His view of the perfect death, he's out picking strawberries, it just drops. It's beautiful. And that's, that's, uh, that's nice. The biggest fear is not um, necessarily logistical. I think that's like planning as a way to feel a sense of control or safety or something. But I mean, the, the bigger fear is like not having you guys around. Daddy, you've lost both of your parents. Mom, you've lost grandfather. Like, have you learned anything about dealing with the death of a parent that you can pass on to me? I like to feel that there's a way in which after I'm dead, you're going to still feel like I'm around because you're going to hear my voice. And I would say there's a way in which I, I felt in the wake of losing people that I really care about that my best way of honoring them and the relationship I had with them is to live the best life I can. I don't mean this as a downer, but it's just a perspective. There, there are things that might happen to you that are going to be much worse than us dying. We knew we were going to die. Yeah, climate change. Yeah. <laughs> like, did, would, would, I never thought about that. Would I, would I imagine? You've got to worry about other stuff. <laughs> so some of these things I think you're right, we should be thinking about and doing something about now. So I, I, I think there's more to talk about. We've opened up conversations and there are more conversations to have. so many great like catchphrases about facing fear even the phrase like face your fears or do you remember that time where no fear was a brand that idea that you can just challenge the things that scare you sometimes I reach for that and it's inspiring to think like don't let this fear hold me back the reality for me at least is that stepping into something that causes your heart to race you to break out into sweats like it is so terrifying and consuming, but I'm grateful for the reminder that there could possibly be something better on the other side of that as soon as my heart stops racing. <laughs> and thank you to our producers who helped put the show together this week, none of whom scare us at all. Andrew Friesen, Bridget Forbes, Gloria Omateo, and Sarah Tate. Take care, everyone. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.